Welcome to the bridge and the week five of our Joyride series. My name's Scott and I'm the lead pastor here at the bridge and so glad you guys are here. And we've been talking about this thing called joy and we've been looking at this for the last uh, five weeks. And it's amazing to think that the Joyride, this series has been going on that long and uh, just like time is fly, you know, flying by as we talk about joy and um, you know, just think about how much your life has changed just in one month. And uh, hopefully that paints a picture of what life can be like in the future as we live a life that's characterized by joy. And we've been, um, uh, this week we're going to talk about how to have joy when you have a past. Uh, we've talked about just living a life that's characterized by joy, but today we're going to talk about what is life like when you have a past that you're trying to get past? How can you have joy in the midst of that? And I don't know about you, but have you ever done anything that you like immediately regretted? Like, I mean, it was a moment and as soon as it happened, you were like, yeah, that probably wasn't a good idea. Uh, when I was in high school, um, I grew up in Alabama, which will explain a lot about this story in a moment. Uh, but I, <clears throat> some friends of ours, uh, we would go over to Gulf Shores, Alabama, and there was a, an area called the Alabama Point Bridge. And it was a bridge that went across the intercoastal waterway out into the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, the bridge was about 40 to 50 feet tall. And we would go over there and jump off the bridge. That's why I said that being raised in Alabama explained some of this. Uh, but we would go and just walk up and then jump off of this bridge. And we would do it over and over. And one day we decided, hey, let's go jump off the Alabama Point Bridge. So we drove down there and we walked up, you know, not looking at the water necessarily. I mean, the water's the water. We walked up, got up to the place on the bridge, and I was one of the first ones off. And so I jumped, and about 10 to 15 feet above the water, I could see that as far as I could see, it was just covered with jellyfish. Um, it's one of those moments where you wish it was like a cartoon moment where you could have stopped and moved over a little bit and then hit the water, uh, but that wasn't happening, and I went straight through the middle of those and got stung in a lot of places, and uh, it was memorable. Let me just say it that way, and it was one of those times where you're like, man, I'd love to have had a do-over on that, right? And here's what I know about each of us. Each person in this room has a past. It's freaky how much I know about you, right? Every one of us, right? We have a past. And maybe there are parts of it that are similar. Maybe parts of it that are vastly different. Uh, but we all have a past. Sometimes they sting much worse than jellyfish stings. Um, how do you get past that? Because here's the other thing I know about your past and about my past. Is that our past has a way of sneaking into our present and our future doesn't it? I mean, it has a way, especially with things that we've not really dealt with, things that we've kind of left undone. It just has a way of sneaking right back into our present life and showing up in moments that we were not expecting it. Maybe a thought, maybe an incident, maybe something said, and all of a sudden, boom, it's right back there again. And you thought you had left it in your past a long time ago. So how do you move past it? How do you actually live a life of joy when your past keeps coming up over and over and over again? Now, we've been talking about this letter uh, that was signed, sealed, delivered by the Apostle Paul 
back in the first century to a group of Christians, a group of Christ followers in the ancient uh, city of Philippi in Greece. And he had been there, spent some time with these, uh, these people. And this is about 10 years later, he writes this letter to them. Uh, it's a letter expressing his love, his gratitude uh, for all that they've done and been a part of his life. But it's also a letter that's filled with encouragement and instruction really on how to live a life characterized by joy. And one of the main themes that Paul talks about is having joy in the midst of difficult circumstances in your life. Now, we've talked about how in Paul's background, he had been falsely imprisoned, uh, falsely uh, charged in prison, been locked up, uh, been beat up, been left for dead, been shipwrecked. All of these things had happened to him in the course of about the last four or five years before he wrote this. And now he is in a Roman prison writing this letter. He is chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And he writes out of all of these circumstances that he had been experiencing, you can choose to have joy. Regardless of the circumstances in your life, you can choose to have joy. And so when he tells us something like that, it feels pretty authoritative. Like I could stand up here and say, hey, you can have joy regardless of the circumstance in your life. And you might look at me and go, well, you don't know anything about my circumstance. So how can you tell me that? And you might have a point. But you can't really say that to the Apostle Paul because he went through things and faced things that hopefully none of us will ever face. And he says, you can have joy regardless of your circumstances. But today we come to Philippians chapter 3. It's just a four-chapter book, and we're in Philippians chapter 3 today. And he's going to tell us that not only can you have joy regardless of your circumstances, but he's going to tell us you can have joy regardless of your past, regardless of the things that haunt you in your past, things you wish you could forget about. You can still have joy. And I believe he's just as authoritative in writing this you say, well, what does Paul know about my past? What does is, what is Paul's past look like? That's a great question. Glad you're participating. He gives us an insight into his past in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Now, he's basically explaining his pedigree. Uh, here's the way he was raised. Here's who he is, the depth of his pedigree. But then he gets to one last phrase at the end that I want you to see. And here's what he says. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. And then this phrase, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. The church being uh, these Christ followers, this new way, these people that were uh, committing their lives to following Jesus. He said, I harshly persecuted the church. We know that when you look back in the, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the book of Acts is really the acts of the New Testament church, how it came into being and, and the different things that took place. In the book of Acts in chapter 7 and 8, we see the first martyr, the first Christian martyr that ever took place. And it was a guy named Stephen and he was stoned to death. And there was a guy standing there watching this whole thing go down and actually volunteering to hold the coats for those people who were stoning Stephen. Like, you know, hey, you, let me hold your coat. You can get a better, you know, better throw on that. Let me hold those for you. This guy was Paul. He was watching this whole thing go down. He was admiring what took place. And from there, he began his own personal mission 
of going out and making sure that the people were persecuted, those who were followers of Jesus Christ. He personally made it his mission to pursue, to persecute, to imprison, to murder men, women, children who were followers of Jesus. And it was on one occasion when he was traveling to go and arrest some new followers that he had found out about that he actually personally had a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ. And it changed his life forever. He went from being like public enemy number one, the, the, the greatest persecutor of the Christian church, to being the number one proponent of Christianity maybe the world has ever known. It radically changed his life. But you have to imagine that there were times where he would still be haunted by the faces of the men, the women, the children that he personally arrested and led to persecution. It cost many of them their lives. You can imagine the nightmares, and I imagine there are times that he would just beg God, please take these away. So when he looks at us and says, if you got a past, and maybe one that haunts you, maybe one that you wish you could get rid of, well, trust me when I tell you that you can still have joy regardless of your past. I would tell you that he's an authority that can look at us today and say those kinds of things, maybe unlike any of the rest of us. And so he's going to tell us, listen, if you've, if you've got a past, you can have joy. And we're going to pick up where he starts talking about this in chapter 3 of Philippians, verses 12 through 14 is where we're going to look at. And here's what he says in verse 12. <clears throat> and what he's talking about here, he goes into saying, I want, to, I want to know what it's like to just know Christ in such a way that my walk with him is so close. That I know it's not going to be perfect, but man, I'm really striving for it to be as close as it can possibly be. And that's what he's talking about where he comes to this verse here and he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I want to walk very closely with him. I want our relationship to be just tight. But I know that I'll never be perfect, not this side of heaven. I understand that. I'm still working out of my imperfection. I'm still working out my salvation, which is what we talked about last week. But at the same time, I don't ever want to be satisfied with my imperfection. I don't ever want to just take my walk with Christ for granted and just say, ah, oh, well, you know, nobody's perfect. Like, I'll go to a church where no perfect people allow. You know, I mean, nobody's perfect. I'll have my issues. I got my problems. I can't get there, so no big deal. Now, Paul says, listen, I'm not perfect. I haven't reached this position of perfection. One day in heaven, I will be. But I don't want to be satisfied with my imperfection. I, want, I don't want to take this, what Christ did for me for granted. So I'm going to constantly work on and work out my salvation, trying to get closer and closer to Christ in my walk. And basically what he would say to us today as Christ followers, he would say, strive for progress in your walk, not perfection. You're not going to reach perfection, so strive constantly for progress in your walk. He says, I press on. I'm, I'm trying to progress in my walk. I'm not going to reach perfection. And that's good news for some, but some, some of you have a perfectionist mindset, right? And you're, you, where that leads you is either to feelings of a lot of guilt or feelings of a judgmental attitude. 
Like these feelings of guilt come because you look and you go, oh man, I, I messed up again. I, I, I got to do better. I got to do better. I should have done this, should have done that. We talked about that last week, right? I should do this, should do that. We should all over ourselves, you know? We talked about that. And, and so I got to be, get better. I got to get better. And so I feel guilty every time I'm not doing the things that I need to do. Or we can take a judgmental type attitude and look at everybody else and go, why don't you get your act together? Why don't you act more like me? See how well I'm doing this? And so we can have, not that you say those things out loud. That's a different series we'll deal with another time. But it's the way we feel, right? And it comes across in different ways. And so Paul is like, listen, you, you're not going to reach perfection. So in your walk, strive for progress. In other words, however long you've been a Christ follower, you should be able to look back at the moment that you entered into this relationship with Christ. And at that moment, you became a new creation. That, that God, that we, we read this in the very first week, that God began to work in you. And God is going to carry that on to completion. And so you ought to be able to look at, back at that moment. And over the years, you ought to be able, over the period of time, whatever it is, you ought to be able to see, yeah, there are peaks and there are valleys. There are times when I felt really good about my walk and there are times that I felt really rotten about it. But over time, the trend line was going up the whole time. That, that I've seen progress. I'm not the same person that I used to be. He said that's what we need to constantly be pursuing in our walk with Christ. Progress, not perfection. He said, I keep pressing on. I'm not there, but I keep pressing on. He gets to verse 13. He says this. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. He said, I want, I, I want to continue moving forward. I want to progress because I know that God has a purpose for my life, that God has a plan for my life, and I want to pursue that with everything that I have but also want to live a life filled with joy. And so the way to, this was his strategy, and I think it's a great strategy for us. He, he said, the way that I'm going to be able to pursue God's purpose and plan for my life and at the same time do that with joy, I've got to do a couple of things. Number one, I've got to forget the past. I've got to forget the past. Now, when he says forget the past, he doesn't mean that you just gloss over everything in your past. He doesn't mean all the times that you might have hurt someone or you might have uh, been hurt by others he's not just saying yeah just just forget all that just gloss over it. because the truth is we can't really forget things can we and the harder we try to forget the more we remember right we can't really forget those things get logged in up there and we wish we could go in and just go uh, delete mm, delete delete but we can't do that so we know we can't truly forget so what is he talking about forget the past basically he's talking about Stop allowing the thoughts and the memories of the past to manipulate you now, in the future, in the present, in the future. Because that is exactly what takes place. If you're a Christ follower in here, the, the scripture says that we have an enemy. It, the enemy is called Satan or the devil. And one of the best tactics that Satan has is to keep bringing up our past. To keep reminding us every time we feel like we're getting somewhere in our walk with Christ. That maybe I'm starting to fulfill this thing, that, this purpose that God has for my life. Maybe I'm starting to have joy. That he comes along and says, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you remember that? 
Oh, yeah, yeah, you've got it going on now, don't you? Yeah, but think about this. And it takes us right back, takes us right back. He said, you're being manipulated by your past. You've got to stop being manipulated by your past. You've got to get to this place where you learn from your past, but you're not manipulated by your past. You learn from it. So that, that's our biggest problem, though, most of the time, right? Is, is that we don't really learn from our past. And if we don't learn from our past, we're going to repeat it, right? It's like the guy that went to the doctor and had both of his ears burned. The doctor's like, what in the world? What happened? He said, man, I was ironing and I got distracted and someone called on the phone. I answered the iron. The doctor's like, ooh. Well, what happened to the other ear? They called back. So we don't learn from our past, right? It's a dumb joke. And we, 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 we're just destined to repeat those things if we don't. And so Paul's like, listen, you've got to learn from your past. And really, when he says forget your past, what he's essentially saying is you've got to refuse to live under the weight or the burden of your past. In other words, here's what we do with our life. We have different hurts, hang-ups, pain, regret, guilt, shame, Different things that are a part of our life, different situations, different events. And we're constantly putting them in a backpack. Every one of them comes along. Whether we're doing it, somebody else does it to us, put them in a backpack. And we just carry this around with us. And at first, it's no big deal. I'm carrying it. It's my burden. I'll carry it around. But as time goes on. It gets heavier and heavier, and pretty soon we're walking with a limp. And people, they can't see the backpack. They don't see that on you, but they know something's there. They don't see what those burdens are, but they know something's there. Because every once in a while, there's a situation that comes up, and man, you just go off. Or certain things happen, and it just splashes over. So they know something is going on. Something's not right, but they can't see the backpack but you're carrying it around. And he's saying at some point you have to offload these burdens. If you ever hope to live the kind of life that God wants for your life, that he's created you to live, if you ever hope to live a life that's characterized by joy, you can't do that and carry this backpack of hurt and pain and regret around with you. You've got to get out from under this burden. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, God says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. And when you became a Christ follower, you became a new creation. God began his work in you. It's a new relationship. It's a new walk. All of those things in your past were forgiven. You're no longer under that burden, but it feels like that still, doesn't it? It feels like we still have a bunch of burdens we're carrying around. And the truth is, joy-filled people, joy-filled people, those who walk with joy, they, they learn from their past, but they don't dwell on the past. They learn from it, but they don't dwell on it. So when you look at your past mistakes... 
what can you take from that? When you look at your past successes, what can you learn from that? When you look at things that have been done to you, what things can you take away from that? What things will help you as you go forward in the future? Forget the past, learn from it, but don't move into the future carrying this backpack full of pain and hurt. Now, there's a guy named John Ortberg. He's a Christian author. And he, he, he's written uh, and talks about this circle of bad that helps to formulate our thoughts, our memories, these things that burden us down. And these are choices that we've made. These are choices that have been made toward us or just things that have happened in life. And there's three different segments to this circle of bad that just compose all of these memories and all these burdens in our past that really weighed us down. This circle of bad, I'm going to show it to you here. There's three different segments. And in the first segment, it's my bad. In other words, these are things that I've done personally. Maybe I've done them and it hurt me personally, or maybe I did something that hurt someone else. And it's things that I'm personally responsible for. It's the hurts and the pains and the regrets and the shame that I'm carrying around. These are things that are my bad. No one else did this to me. I did this on my own. Or I did it to someone else. And I carry the weight of those choices around with me. The second quadrant, they're bad. That's when someone else has done something to you. Someone else has inflicted pain on your life. Could be relational, could be emotional. It's typically going to be someone close to you because that's who hurts you the most, right? Could be a form of abuse, neglect. Could be someone, a business partner that stole an idea from you could be any number of things that someone has done to you and you carry that hurt and that pain around with you and it could be that they've moved on and forgotten all about it but you haven't you continue to carry it and the last quadrant it's bad and that's just the fact that we live in a jacked up world and there's bad stuff that happens in this jacked up world there are evil people there are evil things that happen there are natural disasters that happen. We live in an area that hurricanes come around, floods happen. And we can get mad at God for that, but we live here. And the fact is that as we live in this world that's bad, that's messed up, that's jacked up, every once in a while we're going to bump into stuff that's bad. It's not even really anybody's fault other than the fact that there's evil in this world. But it will affect us. And we'll carry around a burden with us. There's really no solution. That was it. God bless you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so so how, do you, how do you move past that then, right? I mean, if, if all these things make up the circle of bad that's in your life, and okay, we can acknowledge that, but what do I do about it, right? How do I offload this backpack? Well, each one of these quadrants has its own specific way of releasing some of the burdens, I'll give each one of them to you. The first one, my bad, the answer is to confess. To confess. To acknowledge what you've done. To acknowledge the hurt, either that you've caused yourself or that you've caused someone else. 
Here's what the scripture says. Scripture says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 in the New Testament, it says, If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word confess, it literally means to agree. So in other words, when we confess to God, what we're saying is, God, I agree with you what you say about my life. I'm not going to continue to try to rationalize my decision. I'm not going to try to gloss over it. I'm not going to say, well, but, you know, if you were in this situation, you know, this happened, that happened, you know, you can see how. No, 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 no. I'm just going to look at your word, and according to what you say in your word, this is wrong. And confession means I'm in, I'm in agreement that it's wrong. It may mean that you confess to a person that you've wronged. That you go to them and say, all these years I've been trying to come up with reasons why it was okay for me to do what I did, but it was wrong. And I want to confess that to you. Now you think, you know, well, that's not going to do any good. I mean, you know how long ago it was that I did this? I mean, what good does it do to go back now? Well, it only does good if you're wanting to try to unpack this backpack. If you want to try to get rid of some of these rocks that are weighting you down. Because when it's my bad, confession is a part, it's part of the road to recovery on that. Several years ago, we were, I was teaching a series here, and, and it was about this very thing, about trying to build a pathway to reconciliation with broken relationships. And part of that, is, part of that reconciliation is for you to confess to someone that you have hurt them, that you acknowledge it, that what you did was wrong. Even if they don't even reciprocate, that's fine. You're trying to build a path to reconciliation. And it starts by you um, confessing to that person what you did was wrong. Now, I gave that message. And it's so funny. This is the way God works, okay? I gave that message. At the end of the message, I gave the challenge. Now, this week, whether you call them, sit down with them, text them, email them, whoever it is that God has brought to your mind, you need to reach out to them, establish that path to reconciliation, confess to them that what you did was wrong. And I walk off stage thinking, I am so glad I don't have anybody. I need to do that too, right? And immediately, God said, oh, but you do. And he brought a guy to mind. And immediately, I did exactly what I told you guys not to do. I said, well, you, but God, you know, you know, this what happened, and like God wasn't there. And, and I was trying to explain to him. And God said, I don't think you want to step back up there again next week and talk to them until you've handled what you told them to handle. And so the next day, I reached out to this guy. We went to Starbucks. We sat down. I said, okay, I'm, we're doing a series, and <laughs> here's what I told the people. I need to do that, and here's what happened, here's what I did, and I'm sorry. And he said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, okay, whatever, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And I can feel my blood pressure going up. <laughs> because see, in my mind, I thought, yeah, I'm going to do that, and then he's going to confess some things, and it's going to be like a big kumbaya moment, and we're going to, you know, right there in Starbucks, it's going to be glorious. And that was not happening. And so I felt God didn't speak again and say, that's not why you came. 
Doesn't matter what he does. You came here to confess what you did. You came here to try to build a pathway to reconciliation. Don't worry about him. I'll deal with that. You do what I've asked you to do. So my blood pressure came back down a little bit. And I walked away knowing at least I had done what God had asked me to do. So maybe it does no good in your mind. The only thing I know for sure is that it was able, I was able to unpack a rock out of that backpack that day, which was a burden that I'd been carrying around. And maybe that's what God wants to do in your life through confessing. So when it's my bad, we need to confess. The second quadrant, though, is their bad. And when it's their bad, you need to forgive. Now, see, some of you, you already knew. Like, you knew where I was headed with that. And you're already thinking ahead, and you're saying, he better not say forgive. He better not say forgive. Because to you, that's like the other F word, right? I mean, I, freedom, freedom and forgiveness. What, I'm talk, what are y'all thinking about? And so, so it's like, I don't want to forgive. I, they, you don't know what they did. And they don't deserve to be forgiven for what they did. And listen, granted, there's some... Some of you have gone through some really, really bad stuff. And I understand that feeling of saying, they don't need to be forgiven. But then you read the scripture, and this is where it gets hard, okay? In Colossians 3.13, the New Testament says, don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Now, we can gloss over that whole thing. We can say, yeah, but that, but this, but whatever. But then you get to this last part, and it says... Forgive others because the Lord forgave you. Aye. But, 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 but if I forgive them, they're going to think in some way I'm condoning what they did. Like I'm saying it's okay. Really? Because that's what God said to you when he forgave you? God looked at you and said, hey, all that stuff you've been doing, it's okay. I forgive you. There's no way. God looked at you and he looked at me and said, I don't agree with any of the things you've done. I've called it sin. In fact, it's the very thing that's kept us separated from each other. But you've now acknowledged that to me and I've forgiven you. I don't condone what you did, but man, I want to have a relationship with you. We forgive as God forgave us through Christ. And when we reach this place where we say, you know, God, thank you for forgiving me. Wow, your grace is amazing. But I have a little bit higher standard than you. And I can't really forgive them. I see, we don't really say that. I get it. But when we can't forgive, essentially we are. What did it cost God? It cost him his son. Your sin, my sin. And he was willing to forgive. And we all, you've heard it enough that forgiveness has as much to do with your heart as it does with that person. That person may not even remember the things they did. But the moment you begin to say, I forgive you, something gets released in your heart. And it's the hold that this person has had over you. It doesn't just go away automatically, but it begins a process of that being released. So that you have freedom in your life from that burden. You have to forgive. And the last quadrant says, 
It's bad. The answer to that is the hope that we have in Christ. That, that, that no matter how bad this world gets, no matter if the world is going to hell in a handbasket and chaos is breaking out everywhere, we have the hope that God is still on his throne and that God knows what's going on in our lives and that he loves us more than we could ever love ourselves and that he wants the absolute best for us. Those things give us a sense of hope. No matter what we're going through, we can lock in on that and hope is restored in our heart. Here's what it says in Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. It doesn't say that everything in life is good because we know that's not true. There's a lot of bad stuff in life. But God says, I'll take even the worst situation in life and I'll, I'll bring it around to your good if you just trust me. If you just trust me. And so verses like this, it gives us a sense of hope that no matter what's going on in our life, we can move forward because God will work in our life. He'll work through this situation somehow, some way for my good. And honestly, we are surrounded by people every day who are looking for that same degree of hope because this world has left us with nothing but dissatisfaction. Because the world has sold us a bill of goods, you know, pursue this, pursue this, pursue this. You'll be happy. You'll be, you know, wealthy and wise and blah, blah, blah. And it'll meet all your dreams. And, and so we've done all those things. And we get left longing for more because we felt so dissatisfied. And maybe it's relationally, maybe it's spiritually, maybe it's professionally or financially or emotionally but we feel empty because we chased after things and it didn't lead us to the place where we thought it would and so they're looking for hope and maybe that's you today you're just looking for some hope you're looking for some place that at least has some kind of answer or the hope of an answer and that's why we as a church the bridge we need to constantly be that bridge of hope that bridge of hope that reaches out to people that are longing for something Because we know in whom our hope rests. And while we don't have an answer for every single thing that people might go through in life, we have an answer for who is sitting on the throne and who will bring it all around and justice will be served someday. And so we place our hope in him even when we can't see exactly how it's going to work out. This is a circle of bad that exists in our life. It forms our thoughts and our memories and the burdens and the hurts that we carry around. There's an answer for each one. Paul says you got to forget the past. You can no longer allow it to manipulate you in your present or in the future. And he says you got to not only forget the past but fight for the future. That, that image there where he says I press on toward the goal. It's the image of a runner stretching toward the tape. I'm going as fast as I can, as hard as I can toward the prize. In other words, Paul's sitting back saying, I'm not going to hang on to all my hurts and pains and the things that have been done to me, but I'm not going to hang on to my successes either. I'm not going to sit back and coast because I've had a good run. Now, if anybody could sit back and coast, I think we would all agree the Apostle Paul can do that. 
I mean, the dude that preached all, he planted all these churches, preached all around the Mediterranean Rim. He's taking Christ everywhere. He's going to wind up writing half the New Testament. Man, take it easy. Kick your feet up. I don't think any of us would be upset with that. But that's not Paul. Paul says, I can't do that. He says, I'm fighting toward the future. I'm constantly focused on where I'm going. And I want to live this life pushing as hard as I can for the purpose that God's created my life for. And I want to do it with joy. Because when I get to the end, I want it to be able to be said, and this is what he writes in another book in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. These were the, some of the last words he wrote. It's the last book that he wrote before his execution. And he said, I didn't slow down. I didn't jog that last hundred meters. I went all out. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. And because he lived every day focused on the purpose that God had for his life and forgetting the past, letting go of some of those burdens, he was able to live it with joy. And God used him in unbelievable ways and is still using him today. And that would be my prayer for each of us. That we would be able to let go of the burdens of our past. Focus on the reason for our existence that God had given us. And we would run the race that we're in with joy. That'd be a good race. That'd be a good joy ride. Let's pray together.